Men's business is for men who want to improve themselves in every area of their lives in order to become more capable husbands, fathers, and leaders. Our podcast interviews men who have shared the same journey with us, imparting their wisdom, focusing on providing tips and tools to help you define your purpose, improve your mindset, build relationships, and grow as a leader. On this episode of the podcast, I'm interviewed by Daryl about my upbringing, the challenges I faced, and how I overcame them psychedelic experiences, and the impact men's business and men's work has had on my life. So we're here for podcast two of men's business. I'm Daryl Kroll and... And I'm Chris Alfred. Today we're going to be interrogating Chris on his life. <laughs> interrogating. I like the choice of word over interview. Yeah. I just like to shit stir. All right. Um... So tell us a bit about your uh, childhood, Bruce. Where were you born? Who were your parents? Uh, yep. Situations, etc. Yeah, so um, I was born here in Australia uh, in the right area um, to a mother from the Philippines and a father from here in Australia. Um, had a pretty tough upbringing. Um, growing up in a fatherless home my parents split when I was really young and I have to say I think a lot of where I am today and what I'm motivated by is because of my childhood um, going through that upbringing especially now looking back as a father um, you know I, I, I find I have this drive to make a difference um, and most importantly with my own daughter as well show up in a way where, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be the best father figure that I can be to her because I didn't know what that was like growing up. Mm. So let's go into that. How, um, how, how young were you when you left? Um, what sort of father roles or father figures did you or did you not have? Um, was it mainly your mother? Was she sort of had to take the role of both parents, the masculine and the feminine energies? So give us a bit more on that. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, so my parents split when I was really young. I don't really have much of a recollection of it. I do have a bit of a detail of the events that transpired and, you know, there was abuse, there was domestic abuse, there were, you know, lots of relationship issues. Yeah. Um, and I, I would have been too young to like really remember it. Like I think I was probably around like five years old or so. I don't really have a good memory of when they split. Yeah. I just remember being very young and my, my mother would take on that role. She'd even say it too, that she had to take on the role of both a mother and a father. And, um, you know, so she was the breadwinner. Yeah. She had to, she had to provide, you know, she had to hold down two jobs at a time to raise three kids, myself and my two sisters. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, like, I think I knew very early on too the importance of not having a father figure and also having a father figure in your life. And so, you know, my mom had many different boyfriends and partners throughout my childhood. It was really hard to hang on to like one male role model for a long time. Um, but I think something like my intuition or something deep down I knew as a kid, it's not a way that kids are supposed to grow up. They're meant to have both 
parental figures there, both role models to look up to and to imitate and to learn from. Um, and so it wasn't until like I hit my like early to mid twenties, I started, you know, realizing I, well, one, I need to get my shit together. Like my life up until that point was a bit of a, a fight. And even at some points, it was kind of like a fight for survival and to get ahead in life and to try and move past what I'd gone through. But it was in my mid twenties when I started to realize that the importance of having mentors and like male role models that I can learn from and I can, you know, men who have sort of walked their own path and have left a trail and can kind of teach me their ways. So, you know, I had, I had several different mentors throughout my early twenties into my thirties. I'm only 33 now, but um, you know, I've probably had quite a, a handful of role models. Uh, one of them was a, a personal trainer, a coach. He owned a gym, uh, was a political activist and um, like a spoken word artist, which is how I, I first got introduced to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he taught me a lot about, you know, you know, just society in general, how things work how business works. Um, I got to learn quite a bit from him. And, um, you know, as time went on. How old were you? uh, Probably, probably like my mid twenties. Cause that was like the, that was like the point in my life where I was like, got to start turning my life around. Got to try and find more purpose and meaning out of life. Yeah. So with your sort of adolescent years, did you get into a lot of trouble? Were you, you know, rebellious and all that sort of stuff? I was kicked out of home regularly. I think my mum got to, yeah, like quite regularly. I was always on the streets. Um, my oldest sister, she developed a pretty bad drug habit quite young, um, in her teen years. And there was a point for quite a long period of time, I think from like 16 to like early 20s, that my oldest sister kind of played a role model. And, you know, I've, I've, I've even read this in books, like kids who grow up without fathers, they look for role models in their peers, mm. in their relatives, in gangs, in other people that they can look up to because they don't see it in, in an individual role model. And so for, for that period of time, 16 to 20, um, I live with my older sister and I live with some pretty rough people. I live with drug dealers and drug addicts and literally lived in drug dens with people who had guns and machetes and there were home invasions and there was just lots of shit that I shouldn't have been exposed to at that age. Like I was still somehow managing to go to high school and somehow still putting myself through an education while dealing with all of that. Um, But yeah, like, yeah, definitely got exposed to some shit that I shouldn't have. Um, And then I, the hardest of it was you know seeing what my older sister had gone through which was a big catalyst for me seeing what she had gone through and she also grew up without a father figure too we didn't have the same father um she came from the philippines when she was really young and it's like i could see and realize at a young age seeing how she responded to not having a father figure and how her life kind of went down a kind of a spiral road yeah yeah so yeah sorry go how do you feel that's affected you well as i was saying i think that was a really big catalyst for me 
because um, like I'm, I'm going to get kind of personal here. I do have this very distinct memory. It's like one of those memories that never leaves you. I remember I was, um, I was sitting in a park with my older sister and she had just shot up heroin and she was having hallucinations and she literally thought there were spiders crawling out of her arms where she was injecting. And I felt powerless. I felt like, like you're, I'm homeless. I've got nobody I can depend on. No parents that really gave a fuck. Excuse my language, but like, that's how I felt at the time. I felt really disempowered. And something within me at that moment, and it wasn't the best moment of my life. It was quite a low point, actually. But I said to myself that I need to get my life together so one day I can help her because I'm not, I'm not in the place where I want to be to help her. And so, yeah, that was a big turning point. That was a catalyst for me because I would then go on and it, was, it, was, it wasn't the best. It wasn't like a highlight moment for me, but I, I left her there in that park and I decided to try and make something of myself, try to turn my life around somehow. You left her in the park. Yeah, I did because I, I didn't know what to do at the time. I was really I was scared and I felt powerless, yeah. but something in me knew that I wasn't the person I needed to be to be able to help her. So you feel like that was like a defining moment in your life where you said, okay, I'm going to, you know, step up and, and take control and, and um, make something of yourself and help mm -hmm. others. And... It's one of the most defining moments for me. And, um, you know, later in life, like we get into this later, if we start going down the rabbit hole of like spiritual experiences and ayahuasca, but I got some lessons and messages around that experience that helped me to sort of come to terms of what had happened. So when you say, all right, because that's one of the questions I've got on the list for later. We can go into that later. Yeah. So, um, all right, so you didn't have a father figure. You, you obviously had a rough, rough uh, 10, 15 years. Um, what, what took you into manhood? Do you feel like it was that? that moment the um i think it's a lot of little moments of different things yeah i think it's a lot of little moments like like the you know like the, that question we asked in the men's group like a couple of weeks ago about what's been a rite of passage for you yeah. like for me it's been many things added up yeah. like one of the things was you know getting my first job getting my first apartment you know putting a roof over my head and trying to get that stability like you know that um maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid where it's got like the needs and it, like all the base needs once i started to cover those then i could start thinking about you know what's my purpose you know once you, i could you weren't take those at all no no i think you had to find them out. i think 100 percent. like i didn't i didn't go to uni like i i mean i did have a brief stint in uni where um, I had a mentor encourage me to go to uni for a little bit of time. And I did some like night courses and that kind of thing. But I didn't go the conventional route of like finish high school, go to uni, study a trade, anything like that. Mm. I had a lot of like shit kicker jobs to begin with, a lot of retail jobs, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, it's that. And then it's also just, you know, once you've covered the 
the base needs and everything, I started to think, you know, more deeper, more, you know, what's the meaning of life? How can I be of service? What can I, what can I, what can I do with my own gifts and skills so that I can give back to the world? Um, you know, I, I dabbled in different things, dabbled with different jobs and careers and passions until I figured out, you know, how to combine the things that I love. And I think that's been a real step into manhood for me. Like the, the first catalyst for me in a job that I actually gave a shit about and I actually felt like my, my skills were being put to use was, you know, I, I for the most part, self-taught graphic designer. And I also am passionate about health and fitness and mental well-being. And so I managed to get my foot in the door working for a fitness academy and I got to combine those skills so something I love, something I can get paid for, and something that can make a difference in the world. That's um, good on you, man. Kudos. Thank you. Um, so let's go into the spirituality part of uh, your life. Uh, so you said that you've done ayahuasca, you have had a number of breakthroughs or releases from the journeys you had um, what what got you in the well onto the spiritual part so when you say spirituality you mean metaphysics um or the metaphysical side of things you know plant medicine just give us a rundown on that yeah that's a good one because like spirituality means different things different people mm. and for me i guess when i look at back on my life experiences and how how much have evolved and changed i do believe in a higher a higher force i do believe that there are you you know you can call them angels you can call them guides you know i, I do believe that there's always been something watching over me and my family and wants what's best for me and the sooner i could start to pay attention to that and go within and listen to those messages the sooner i started to acknowledge you know there's more to it than the physical world and and what we're taught you know that like spirituality for me became a really personal journey yeah. um what what happened was was it just a culmination i mean I, I i can relate to what you're saying you know there was something but have has there been like one sort of defining moment where you dropped your knees and prayed or Oh man, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about this. <laughs> no, because I like it really, it really resonates. Like there's just been like this, like subtle nudges, you know, yeah. like little things where you're being told you're on the right path. Like my whole life, I've always seen like repeat numbers, 11, 11, like they call them angel numbers and synchronicities. Synchronicities is another one that they use. And I look into that, like I'd really like, why, why does this keep happening? What does this mean? You know, and I think because of having an inquisitive mind and looking into the deeper meaning behind things, that's where I started to open my mind to other ideas, to deepen spirituality, to learn more about other ways of, you know, tapping into that, you know, psychedelics being one of them, meditation being another, other kind of practices that can help enrich my life. Um, and, you know, ayahuasca is something I found because I was a, a truth seeker. 
I'd always try to, you know, look beyond the veil of the things that I'm, I, I learn and I get taught. Um, and, you know, one of the things about ayahuasca is that, you know, she calls to you. Yeah. It's not like you have to go out and actively seek it as a part of that. But I do believe that ayahuasca calls you forward when it's time, when it's time for you to connect with her. And if you're ready and you heed that call, you know, it's a profound experience. Um, and, you know, I, I can't say, I can't speak for everybody. I don't, I, don't, I don't think ayahuasca is for everybody. And I think that there's some contraindications there too. Like if you've got serious mental health issues, I wouldn't recommend it. But with that said, you know, ayahuasca has been quite a transformative experience for me. I've only ever done it twice, but each time it's such a divine, surreal experience like the messages you get, how personal the experience is. Like it really does believe, like I believe it's this force that really does deeply care about humanity and wants what's best for you. And it can be fucking difficult at times. It's like a, it's like a tough grandmother who wants you to like get your shit together and knows that you, there's, more, there's more within you. There's more potential within you. But um, you know, one, one really profound experience for me was the first time I did ayahuasca. I, um, I, I cried like I'd never cried before about my older sister and the, the feeling and the wave of emotion that I've felt, uh, so many different mixed emotions, like the shame I felt leaving her on that night, um, the blame that I carried for myself for not being there for her. <sighs> all that i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it now just going back to the feeling that i felt you know ayahuasca was trying to show me like you know just remember how much love there is for her too like you have so much unconditional love for your sister that you would carry this guilt and this shame that you felt but really you got to remember there's so much love there and it's actually insane because i remember after that moment had passed like I felt like this huge release, I, like I, like all that guilt and shame was removed. And I look to the other side of the room and I see Cass, my partner, the love of my life on the other side of the room. And it was reminding me like that's unconditional love. Yeah. Like, try and stay in that, try and, you know, embrace that. Yeah. Sounds intense. Yeah. So um, let's go back onto the spirituality thing. What yeah. what uh, sort of practices do you maintain, sort of daily, weekly, monthly? Mm -hmm. uh, breath work for me is like the big one. Um, I discovered breath work just before COVID hit, and um, ran an event at my studio. Had a couple of breath work practitioners. They held a, an event, and I got hooked because um, I really do believe it's like a really powerful tool that's been around for a long time. Um, you know, pranayama is one of the like most well-known breathwork practices that's been around for a while. Um, but it's a modern, it's a modern practice that is used in so many different um, realms. Like it's not just for, for the yoga people and the hippies, you know, people in 
the high performance industries and in sports like they they're all using it all the time exactly yeah recovery times uh, wake up you know wake yourself the fuck up in the morning exactly exactly yeah athletes like i think i was kind of introduced to breath work in a subtle way through martial arts like learning to breath control and, and exertion of breath when you're when you're sparring so you don't get gassed out that was sort of like my first intro to it but now it's become like a daily habit it, it complements my meditation it helps me get deeper into meditation and um you know i i really feel the benefit of the release of energy and you know stuff that doesn't serve you anymore like we we all have this tool that we can just use to to reset ourselves and to you know it, you know give ourselves more energy and power ourselves up so that that for me is a big one meditation is also another and um a bit of journaling of what i'm grateful for and movement movement exercise like every day if possible it's good for the mental health yeah it is <clears throat> especially the endorphins afterwards you uh, <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> yeah um so what what do you believe in what i believe in do you believe there are aliens <laughs> i do believe there are aliens definitely I mean, I've always been a big fan and believer of aliens. Um, like, I believe in, like, if, if, we, if I'm talking about, like, on a personal level, what my core values are, I believe in the family unit. Yeah. And, and like, if I could circle it back to what we're talking about at the beginning, I believe in the importance of the family unit. Um, Cass and I actually watched this doco the other night, and they were talking about the single biggest contributing factor to violence in the U.S., fatherless homes wow. like just let that land for a second like gun violence is directly contributed to fatherless homes and I, I could go further down the rabbit hole but this documentary was you know packing unpacking you know how it affects society on economic level and then on on all these other levels in in terms of like violence um but i really do believe that that's that's a way to start to make a difference in the world. Like if you can make a difference in your home and in the people around you. You see it, you see it a mile away. Like people that don't have a father or a positive role, male role model or female for that instance either. You know, if they have one or the other, it, it's, that's a broken home. Then you've got frustration, you've got fear, you've got, you know, who knows what else forms of abuse or, you know, women that may have a number of boyfriends come through and, so all sorts of things that can go wrong. Mm. Um, yeah. But yes, I do believe in aliens too, and I can't wait for them <laughs> to, to land. Like, that was more of a joke question, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, that'll be a good, good thing when there's disclosure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so with with ayahuasca did you have any um you know parts of the journey that took you into other realms or you know, did you see the, the uh, 
what's the one they called again? Sacred geometry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I remember seeing DNA strands, like the helix DNA strands wrapping around. And it was like it was taking me through a journey throughout my cells in my body. And, you know, you've like probably heard the term spiritual surgery. Like I remember feeling like something was going through my body and rewiring my DNA and all the cells in my body and trying to physically show me like I could see it in my third eye and my vision. Um, I remember looking around the room and there'd be sacred geometry shapes on the floors, the walls, the paintings, the people around me. You'd see full-blown, like just, it's, it's unreal. I think it's a very like unreal visual experience. But um, one thing that stood out to me, which you kind of jogged my memory is that I remember kind of like going inwards and asking, you know, asking like questions of like, you know, how can I, you know, like, well, actually kind of like, yeah, it, actually it was, it's not like I even asked. It was more like I was being shown that like the world's a mess. Mm. Like she, she was kind of showing me like a top-down view of the world, like taking me on like a bird's eye view of the world. You know, there's pollution, there's crime, there's so many problems of homelessness and mental health and all these things. And she was basically trying to tell me, like, you know, stop focusing on other people's problems so much and start looking at your own. Start looking at where in your life you can fix and what are the things you overlook and that it's not it's not so much a problem about the world has its issues it's on an individual level we all have our issues and we've got to take care of them so yeah that that for me was a pretty profound thing like i think it was in relation to like some conflict i had with somebody like it was a a co-worker or, or people in my life that i had problems with and it was like she was trying to tell me don't don't focus so much on that issue of what that person is or how they're acting. Focus on how you can show up yeah. and what you can improve. Do you feel that because... Accountability. Yeah. Our accountability is a big one. Yeah. Um, do you feel like because of your um, you know, childhood and experiences with your sister, et cetera, that you really want to try and just fix everything? Yeah. Hundred percent, yeah. Oh, it's that saying like, "Hurt people, hurt people; heal people, heal people." Like I have had been on a healing journey throughout my life. I've had forgiven and accepted and moved on and integrated experiences throughout my life. And so much of the suffering that goes on in the world is people are hurt and they don't know how to heal what they've been going through. And you know. I'm not trying to like stand on a stage and shout on a megaphone about, you know, you've got to heal your shit, but, but you are. <laughs> I would love to see more of that in the world. <laughs> in, 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 but, in my, but in my own subtle way, you know, like what can I do in my own personal way that benefits others and that helps in some way? And that's what men's business, and I think you feel the same way as well. That's what men's business is. Absolutely. That's, that was actually leading into the next um, sort of topic where I did want to say, you know, that's 
is this where you get the drive for men's business? I think so. You want to help people heal themselves because we know we can only, you know, it's probably not the most appropriate saying, but you can take, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Um, 100%. There, there are things we can do for, for people, but it, you just can't help them if they're not willing to help themselves. 100%. I got chills hearing you say that too, because that's, I used to say the exact same thing about my older sister. For the longest time, I would beat the same drum that you can't lead a horse to water. Some people are just not ready for that journey. Some people need to have this, you know, all these different experiences. Like they, they even say that, you know, people who have drug addictions and they have, there's a cycle that happens, but it's no one definitive breaking the cycle. There's no one definitive, like, you know, what's, what's the term, you know, where they, where they hit rock bottom. Hit rock bottom yeah. There's never one definitive rock bottom. There's rock bottom after rock bottom after rock bottom. But at some point on the cycle, you know, you might wake up and be like, I'm ready to change. And then you might slip up and go back and the cycle continues again. But whenever yeah. you're ready for that journey, you know, like I think at some point, like when that, when that time comes up, like it's, I don't know how to put it, in the words but like you know healing is is an is a never-ending journey and you know when the opportunity does show up to heal like it's it's just a matter of like leaning into it yeah yeah absolutely i mean you, as you just said people hit rock bottom after rock bottom it's like i you know i had my shit as well i had my time of substance abuse growing up and i tried a number of times to get out of it and it, you just until you're ready, until you can just commit to it. Um, yeah, I guess that's the, the thing of having support. If you can find a support network, it really sort of get because not everyone has access to that. 100%. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that too, because, it, you know, yesterday just being uh, World Mental Health Day, yeah. like a lot of people are struggling with mental health due to the <laughs> pandemic and lockdowns and everything that we've been dealing with not just in australia but around the world and the single best contributor to resolving these issues is having support yeah. you know that's why there's so many different mental health networks out there nowadays like 10 20 years ago that wasn't the case there weren't as many men's groups as there were now there's there's plenty of them you're lucky i can't re- <clears throat> like i don't remember hearing of men i remember hearing of like the men's shed which was just a group of guys old guys that would sit around and make shit um otherwise i can't remember you know there was yeah there was lifeline so i don't know when they came out there was one helping hand incorporated um which i recalled was probably only one of the two or three telephone counseling networks free ones yeah all free but um non-government um networks but yeah, now we've got more, which is a good thing. But still not enough. Like the, the resources are out there more than they used to be, like you said. But I think it's still like in its early days. And I still feel like, you know, men's mental health issues are still swept under the rug and there's still a culture around it. Um, but, you know, I think the tides are changing a little bit. And what we do contributed contributes to making that shift in the in the collective 
Well, that's all right, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that, that, that can be generational. You know, you get people that are just so stuck in their ways that they won't change that over, you know, a decade or two. Mm. Take them until they get to their 50s or 60s and start to calm down and realize, oh, yeah, maybe I should have asked for help. You know, we're, we're thankfully finding men that are, yeah, I've got shit to deal with. Let's deal with it, which yeah. is very much part of what we need to do to evolve as men into this new age where uh, age of uncertainty mm. um so tell me a bit more about um you know what to do with men's business and yeah aims goals well i mean it felt like a no-brainer joining forces with you like when when we started this it was one, one of those other rites of passages right like back to synchronicity and everything, you know, how we knew each other, how we were connected to our partners, the nudge we both were given. The kick in the ass that we both got. A hundred percent. But it's been so bloody enriching. Like it, it's given me a deeper sense of purpose and meaning. And it's actually kind of in a way made me realize that everything I've gone through has led to this. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, you know, my healing journey is part of, this and and yours as well I'm, I'm, I'm assuming as well and and you know the connections we formed and the the men that we've been able to connect with and help and support you know it's it's tangible and it's you know it's it's something that i take you know i you know i have gratitude for and i want to continue doing and I know that there's more that we can do. And as we evolve, the rest of the guys evolve and we all, we're all going to grow together. But yeah, I mean, I think what we're doing is also bringing back those rites of passage into manhood. Like no man is an island. Like I, I do really believe that men become men through the support, support. and encouragement of other men. Yeah. Well, that's, that's how... You, Go. Uh, you was like you know you you touched on this before positive masculinity like we we all learn from each other what that is yeah and i think that's where the, the actually the name men's business comes from because it, it you know sort of coined from the indigenous cultures that did have their men's groups and traditionally men would sit around with the other men and teach them tricks or you know talk about their problems and sort things that way and that is such a healthy way to have a positive um civilization yeah you know it's got yeah people we've just been so alienated in the city and people were you know you sit in some people sit in offices some people do whatever they do you know then they might go to the pub or they might go for drinks and whatever some people train at gyms but it's yeah, you have your little networks, but it's just not the same. Like the, the whole uh, descent of wisdom from the elders, you know, unless you've been close with your grandparents, uh, not everyone has that. Like they might see their grandparents at, you know, some holidays or a few times a year, some people less, some people more. Yeah. It's just, it's a, such a good way to, to keep that... Um, what would you call it 
just the focus on on being men mm. being good men because i do <laughs> remember hearing stories of if you know someone stepped out of line they take them out the back and kick the, kick the shit out of them and that's sometimes what people need then you're being held accountable you, you know it's being dealt with there and then and you pull your head in yeah it definitely will yeah, you reminded me of this thing I read once about how I, I, I want to say it's like a tribe in Africa or something. Mm. If somebody steps out of line and like they, I think they, they don't try to shame them. What they do is they remind them of all the good that they've done. Yeah. So they can be reminded that they're, they have positive attributes and this is not who they are. Like these bad things that they've done that stepped out of line, they need to be reminded that they need to be kept accountable. Like you've got more potential in you. You've got more potential for good. And, you know, to summarize what you're saying as well, you know, I think we've got to go back to our roots. Yeah. Like this modern society is making us sick. Yeah. Alienation and cities and, you know, the disconnection that we have through social media and technology. It's, it's something to be really concerned about. Like my, my children's generation, I worry that children in the future are going to lack the social skills that oh, we have now. I, they already do. I, when if I, we don't teach them. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. When I did a small business course. So the guy that was teaching us, he said to us that after he was finishing the course with us, he's actually teaching people how to communicate again, face to face without telephones or emails. It was just the irony is that we're filming this on a on a podcast, but it, it's but the point is like the importance <laughs> of real life social skills, right? Social skills, empathy, like compassion, and you know, deeper interpersonal skills. Like Shaking they're so important. Hugging and you know, slapping each other on the shoulder, or you know, giving giving your girlfriend a kiss. Hundred percent. This is this is it. Human connection. 100%. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got a few minutes left. Um, is there anything else you want to throw in? Uh, I guess someone, yeah, maybe just go back into what we we're talking about with the, you know, this connection, human connection. Like, humankind is tribal. Like, you know, they, they've all got that, like, there's that saying, you know, find your tribe. Like, they're, we, we all, you know, we all have our different unique interests and the things that we're drawn to. And when you find other people who are part of your tribe, you know, I think that's one of the most enriching things that we can have is community and connection to people who share the same values as us. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, that's, that's fundamental as, a, as an adult human being, as you grow up, to connect with other like minds. Um, because like i mean the worst punishment they give people is they put them in prison into isolation like that's the most harmful thing you could do but then you think about a child's development that's also the most harmful thing you can do is to neglect the child and not be present with them so yeah i guess kind of just circling back to that like in a nutshell it's just it's so important well, that's, that's actually one thing that I've been thinking about lately is uh, that children that are growing up now, you know, obviously the developmental years are between one and seven. There are going to be children that are seriously tormented from 
this mask wearing and social distancing and all that sort of stuff. That's um, exactly that's part of it. Yeah. That's part of you know. You remember at school, you, you whatever you played games, you played I don't know rumbles or this and that, and and then you're being told no, you can't touch anyone. You have to stay 1.5 meters. Like that's going to affect a lot of people negatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, it does. It does concern me. Like the developmental that children need like even with my daughter i am concerned about that you know um not enough connection with other kids like in such a important stage of her life as well um these are the these are the challenges we face in this kind of like climate that we live in now yeah yeah and it's gonna get well i don't want to say it's gonna get worse but who knows who knows what can happen we'll do our best but yeah, and in saying that, like, you know, I'm not being all doom and gloom here. Like we, what we've created with men's business is, you know, we want to help other people who are dealing with the same issues. And we're all, we're all men at different stages of our lives. Some of us don't have kids. Some of us are married. Some of us are focusing on business. You know, that's, we're all trying to help each other out the best that we can with all the knowledge that we can, we can share within the group. And and I, I think that for me, I, like, I value it so much. Yeah. Well, I think also the, the main part, because we were going on, um, you know, the regular meetups once a month, which was great. And, you know, we often went over time. It was like th- three into four, four and a half hours sometimes. Um, but over the lockdown, Sydney's lockdown, we've had the regular calls weekly. And that's really developed into a sort of a brotherhood, essentially. It has to yeah. know each other and support each other and you know with the group chats etc you can just see that people are you know there's a bit of comedy sometimes a bit of uh, outspokenness about being displeased about current situations it's 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 a great thing it's a great thing to see and be part i agree of. i agree i agree and, I, and like i i feel like there's therapeutic benefits to it just to be able to see it be seen and heard and acknowledged for don't what you, you have to say don't you feel that reward like i know personally for me when we've had a good session like i just i remember that one event where everyone was so sort of stoic and no one wanted to really smile or in the waiting room and when we just walked in and just said hello to everyone and shook everyone's hand and then by the end everyone was just hugging each other and swapping phone numbers and it was that's that's rewarding i agree I agree. And in my personal life, I've experienced the benefit of it as well, like connecting with other people. And, you know, it's, it's helped build my confidence. It's helped me to deal with anxiety issues in, you know, my work. It's, it's helped me to become, yeah, just a, it's, it's helped to improve me just as much as I'm trying to help improve other people's lives through the group. And I think I've even said it once before, you know, I'm grateful to even have the group during lockdown because I don't get as much actual social interaction with people because we're all in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, like just getting through the week without any social interaction is, is not good for our mental health. So there's definitely an added value to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Then. Yeah. 
solid podcast, brother. Thanks for the questions. Like that was, yeah, really got me thinking. And, and um, like, I, I look forward to more and we'll keep doing this and we'll have other guests on and we'll keep this thing going. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's maybe we should join, you know, join up with some of the other guys and just see if they want to go on a podcast. There's a few, I'm sure there'd be a few interesting stories of um, some of the guys that are in the group. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right. Thanks, Bella. Cool.